Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, where the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. Oh, we bless you, Lord. How many join? We're going through the Bible, doing our Jesus trip. How many are caught up? You're on time. How many are a little bit ahead? How many are actually behind and you're feeling bad about it? Devil's going, what's the matter with you? It's all right. Just just skip over. Just catch up. Just move on. Amen. Just go, just speed read and, and uh, just catch up. It's all good. But we're in the book of Exodus right now, quickly moving through the Bible. So I'm going to preach out of Exodus, but I want to bring some other verses that relate to the passages in Exodus where we've been reading. So I'm going to start in Psalm chapter 105, and this is the psalmist is writing about these events, writing about what happened with the people of Israel. So we saw creation, we saw this special individual, Abraham, who God chose, and through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, generation after generation, God has been trying to reveal himself, manifest himself, show every nation his goodness, and this is all going to culminate that through this family, the Redeemer is going to come, Jesus is going to come through this special people. So he's identified this group of people. Every person in the earth is special. God loves every single nation, but he chose Israel to be the nation through which he would He would bring about the manifestation of his son, and he would demonstrate through them his goodness and his grace. But they gave him some struggles every once in a while. But he began to work through these people. So uh, they were taken down by Jacob into Egypt. They were in Egypt for 400 years because God said, that's how long you're going to be there. So they were there 400 years. You can't leave early, can't leave late. It was 400 years. Moses tried to chop off some ears kill some people and get it done 40 years early, but it wasn't time. And then God said, it is time. He goes to get Moses. Moses, it's time to fulfill your destiny. And Moses said, send somebody else. So we dealt with that last week. So here we are. So Moses now, he uh, goes back. He performs all these miracles, 10 amazing, amazing signs. And, and all of those 10 signs, they were all signs that overcame the gods of Egypt who represented every god of Egypt. He showed that our God is God among the gods. There's no God like our God. And then finally, with that whole Passover, uh, they were set free and they came out with everything. I mean, they came out with all the wealth of Egypt. They went next door going, hi, you know, I'm a, I'm a tr- part of the tribe of Israel and I've come to take all your stuff. Thank you very much. And it says, they went out. God brought them out with silver and gold, laden, weighed down with silver and gold. They came out with all the wealth of Egypt. How many think that's fair? Well, it is fair because they spent 400 years serving those people for nothing. So you know what? I reckon if I built it, it's mine. So they left all the stuff they built, but they took everybody's stuff. Flocks, sheep, camels, boom. And then they're headed out. And they're like, whoa! this is so good. God set us free from slavery. Yes, yes. And they're so excited. And then all of a sudden they take a left turn and God didn't want them to go that way because if they went that way, they would have run into the Philistines and the Philistines are prepared and ready to fight. They are a nasty people. And he said, these people have been slaves all this time. They're not quite ready to take on the Philistines. I'm going to take them over here, a little detour. And he takes them over to the Red Sea and they go, what is God doing? And suddenly Pharaoh comes and he's chasing them down. And then boom, God says, go forward, opens the Red Sea and they go across on dry ground. 
You see all these miracles, you see all these signs and wonders. You've got a cloud with you every day giving you central air conditioning and you've got the fire of God giving you heating at night. You literally have these visible manifestations of God with you every day. How many think that would be cool? You're going down the road in your Honda Civic and you get this cloud. Hey, what's that? It's the presence of God. Hallelujah. I mean, sometimes I used to think when I was a kid, man, if I had those kind of things, I'd serve God because I need some visible stuff. I need something tangible. And yet, you know, in our covenant, our covenant's better than the old covenant. Because for them, God was always an outer experience. He was always an outer revelation. We see with us, God doesn't dwell with us in a tabernacle. God doesn't do stuff like God takes up residence right here. I've got the cloud. I've got the fire. But it's not hanging around over top of me. It's in me. But you know what? What's in me wants to get out. (laughs) That river God inside of me, that gusher wants to get out. So you know what? You are a walking, living miracle every day. We got to know that. So here they are. Here's what he says. He brought them out heavy, laden down with silver and gold. And there was none feeble among them. None feeble. Nobody was sick. There was no weakness. Not only did they all come out, but they all came out totally healed. They all came out totally delivered. And then another miracle is their clothes never wore out doesn't matter how many times, you know, they, that your kids would ride the bike and scuff their shoes and all that. No matter how hard they tried to wear out their Nikes, they wouldn't wear out. And the amazing thing is, when the kids were five and six and seven and eight, the shoes grew with them. How many think that would be awesome? How many know we got a better covenant? Command those shoes to grow. Hallelujah. Glory to God. <laughs> Woo! Glory to God. All right, so here they are. They came out. It says he spread a cloud for covering, fire of light by night. And the people asked him, and he brought quail, and he satisfied them with bread from heaven. He opened up the rock, and it gushed out water, and it ran like a river into the dry places. Isn't that good stuff? It's good stuff. This is what God did for them. That's what the psalmist was talking about. I'll show you a picture of a fellow, and this is Hiro Onada. And Hiro Onada was a special officer in the Japanese army. He was an intelligence officer, and he was in the Philippines. And he was hiding in the jungle, and nobody told him that the war was over. And the war ended in 1945. He surrendered in 1974. 29 years later, he came out of the jungles. Now, even when people came in and told him the war is over, because they weren't Japanese people, he didn't believe them. He thought they were trying to mess with him. And he said, I will be faithful to the emperor. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to do my job. They finally had to get the guy on the right. They had to get him to come. He was his direct commanding officer. They had to send him all the way back in the jungles of the Philippines to go to Hiro Anata and say, you're relieved of your duty. You get to come home. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't surrender. He wouldn't give up until that guy came and told him it's time to come home. Boom. He died in uh, 2014, 91 years old. And I'm sure when he came out of the jungle of the Philippines, he went back and saw skyscrapers being built and all these things. went, wow, life has changed. You know, when Abraham Lincoln uh, wrote the Emancipation doc, uh, document, the proclamation, it, when you read about the South and all these things, so many people were told they were free, but they didn't exercise their freedom because they were so accustomed to the life they were in. And, and, and slavery, a horrible thing, a horrible, awful travesty. I and mean, then the scars of it are still on the nation in the States. And it's a horrible thing. And they're, they're still, you know, reaping some incredible injustice. But there were many, many people who stayed on plantations, stayed where they were just because they didn't even understand freedom. They, they couldn't even cope with what that meant because some of them had been generations in those places. And some places weren't bad, and they felt they had actually partnered with, you know, the home, and they'd built things, and they, they felt good about where they were. But many immediately said, I'm free. Thank God, let me out of here. But it's a sad thing when 
you're free and you don't know you're free. Even in the Japanese war, there were uh, American and, and other allied uh, war prisoners. And, and the war was over, but the Japanese were still keeping them prisoner. And for months, some for three months, were kept captive, and the war was over. And one place it says a, a, a captain, one captain, walked up to a gate and said, excuse me, tap, tap. They let him in, and then all the Japanese guys hung up their rifles and, and ran out of the place. And then he said, man, the war's been over for three months. Those guys are like, what? But they'd been captive because they had no knowledge. Word says my people perish for lack of knowledge. You know, even today, you know what? Every beautiful blessing. Like Stephen was saying, we have a covenant that God cut between God and God. God cut the covenant between the Father and the Son. They established the covenant. It is a covenant. It is a promise. And he's faithful to his promise, every bit of it. But the weirdest thing is, is that you can ignore it. What's crazy is you've got so many incredible benefits. You have inherited so much riches from your heavenly Father. But you know what? You can. An inheritance is only an inheritance when you put a demand on it. And you have to put a demand on it. Like, I could have an inheritance. They could be trying to reach me, sending me emails, sending me letters. But, you know, I'm in the backyard for 40 days not checking my emails, my letters or nothing. And, you know, I'm not paying attention. And, and you know, even if I got the letter, wow, I'm a millionaire. Whatever it says, I got to go. I got to engage. I got to, hey, I'm Carl. I qualify. I'll have that. Thank you very much. So an inheritance is yours, but you got to put a demand on it. You know, you've got an amazing inheritance in God. You really do. You know, God's not withholding from you. You know, you're, it, it, there's no distance between you and the promises, and there's no delay. There's no delay. Religion teaches distance and delay. Oh, we could be closer to God. You really can't. You're as close as you'll ever get. But if, the, if people keep teaching, oh, don't you want to get closer? It, it establishes in your mind the sense of, I'm not where I could be. And you see, that's a deception which puts distance between you and God. It sounds good, doesn't it? Because who doesn't want to be closer to God, right? But the truth is, you're one spirit with him, and you can't get any closer. Accept that, believe that, and say, wow, I am eye to eye, face to face. I'm on his lap. I can't get any closer. I'm one spirit with him. I've been brought into the unity of the Godhead. I am in absolute union, oneness with God himself. Now, if you let somebody tell you there's distance, you start to try to say, I've got to achieve my closeness. It actually puts distance because God said, the way to me is Jesus, the new and living way. You can't add anything to it. And when you add anything to it, you get in this constant striving of someday I'm going to have an awesome experience. And you're forfeiting the fact that you can have that right now. And you do have it. And delay. Oh, someday, you know. Oh, one day, one day God's going to do something for you. But you know, now faith is. Now faith is. God's the God of now. God's the God of yes and amen. God's the God of I am faithful and all my promises are yes. I mean, do you want to do that right now? Are you the one that can heal me today? I am. I am. Not I was that I was or not I will be that I will be, but I am that I am. And he's a covenant-keeping God in the present tense right now for you. So don't neglect. That's why it says don't neglect, don't forget. Don't neglect, don't forget about the benefits, right? Yeah. Don't forget about the benefits. Why would the psalmist say don't forget about the benefits? Because you can. Huh? I mean, I, I worked for a company, and we, we had benefits. And, you know, back then, I had benefits, covered my wife, my whole family. And, you know, for three years with that company, when we were in our first few years of marriage, I never, we never went to the dentist. We never did anything. We never did any of that stuff. And I realize now that my wife didn't have great teeth. 
She grew up in the country, and she drank from a well that didn't have fluoride. And, and, and so she had a bad start with those teeth. I abused my teeth, and they still seem to go well. I go to the dentist. She says, you don't even do anything about those teeth, and you're just blessed. I go, I am blessed. But poor Cheryl, you know, but, but we, I neglected some benefits early in life that we could have taken advantage of. It's just like I got a benefit package now with the church, and I take advantage of my benefits. You know what? You've got benefits in your relationship and your covenant with God. He forgives all your sins and he heals all your diseases, crowns you with love and compassion, redeems your life from the pit, and he says, don't forget your benefits. All right, how you doing? So here's some people who came out. They saw some incredible things and they came out of the wilderness. Romans chapter 8, 15 to 17 says, you did not receive a spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received a spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father, the spirit himself, bores witness, bores witness. He bore witness with my spirit that we are children of God. What's the spirit telling me? You're a child of God, girl. You're a child of God right now. You got everything right now. And you're not an infant of God. You are a full-grown son immediately in the kingdom. I am a child of God. And if we are his children, then we are heirs. We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Amen. I'm not a slave. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm not a slave. I'm not in bondage. I'm not in lack. I'm not in shackles. I'm not under. I'm not below. I'm not cursed. Galatians 4, 4 to 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. If fullness of time, what did God do? He sent forth his son. Well, why did he do that? She's born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive adoption as sons. All the sons, daughters of God say amen. I'm telling you, it's time for us to manifest who we are. It's time for us to walk with the noble gates. It's time for us to demonstrate the benefits we have. And then people will say, please, can I join your family? As a matter of fact, you can. As a matter of fact, there's room at the table for you. Because here's the truth. He is your heavenly father. He is. He is. He is. It says, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son in your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, again. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you are a son, then you are an heir of, a God, through Christ, heir of God through Christ Jesus. Now, the Israelites have been freed from bondage, coming out of Egypt, but they're trapped in that same bondage mindset that would keep them from being able to enjoy their freedom. Many believers today, so impacted by the way of this fallen world, so impacted by their circumstances, what they've been through, that they're trapped right now, and they find sonship hard to embrace. Some people have never, never had good experiences in family, so they find family awkward. And even, you know, God is my father. Who is he? My father? Oh my God. And they don't have a good revelation of father. He is a good, good father. You know, you are a child of God. You are a child of God. You are a child of God by his decision. The same covenant that Stephen talked about for finances, it's that same covenant that brought you into the family. He determined your sonship. And he sent the spirit in your heart. And that spirit in your heart agrees, your spirit and his spirit say, you're a child of God. I really am. His spirit says, you're a child of God. And inside you go, I really am. And his spirit announces your sonship. And it's not because of your performance. It's because of his performance. It's because what he has done and your sonship can never be taken from you. All right. That's good. Now, here we are. I don't know about you, but if I was there and we went through the Red Sea and I saw all the Egyptians washed up on the shore... I could have probably lived on that for a couple of months. I could have probably woke up every night. I was so cool. I mean, I thought all those things Moses did. Did you see it? The flies, the frogs, all those things. We were in Goshen, and all those plagues never touched us. I mean, the line between us and Goshen, you could step out here, flies and bugs, step back here, totally free. 
It was so amazing. When you're in Goshen, you're touched by all these things. It was amazing. All those frogs would come right up to the line, and they'd try to come into Goshen. It's like they hit a wall, and they had to go bouncing back. It was so awesome. I mean, we were in Goshen. We were covered. I mean, that was so cool. And then we come out here, and then dry ground. We're walking through, and I'm going, look at the fish. Oh, my God. It's like a massive aquarium. This is so cool. And they hurry up. Come on. And then all of a sudden, you go, man, the Egyptians are coming. Everybody up. Everybody Okay. Moses puts his rod, then all the Egyptians, every enemy of your soul, every, every enemy who says, I got a claim on you, you see them and you'll never, ever see them again. Gone. I could have lived on that for a few weeks, maybe. I could have been excited. I could have been grateful. I could have been great. I don't know. I might have had gratitude for maybe three months, at least. You don't even have to do anything else. For three months, I'm going to be happy. Hey, come on. And not only that, you got the cloud every day, you got the fire every day. Woo! Glory to Jesus. This is awesome. This is the life. And not only that, but I just came out with all the wealth of Egypt. I got all this wealth and blessing. I mean, oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Oh, you're so wonderful. Amen, amen, amen. All right. Exodus 15, verse 13. This is the song of Miriam. Just one line, just one line. There's another line where it says, you know, uh, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rat are thrown into the sea. Boom, 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 boom. I will sing unto the Lord, for his triumph gloriously. He killed all my enemies. Wow. And threw them into the sea. The Lord, my God, my strength, my song. He has become my victor. <laughs> The Lord, my God, my strength, my song. He has become my victory. The Lord is God, and I will praise him, my Father. How many of you know that song? How many have never heard that song before? Fantastic. But that's Miriam. She was singing that song, and here's a line in her song. With your unfailing love, you lead your people. You have redeemed us, and in your might, you guide them to your sacred home. Here's Miriam singing her brains out. They're all partying and go, whoa, yes, sirree, Bob. Three days. I mean, if it happened on Sunday, by the time we got to Wednesday, the Lord, my God, where is he now? We can't even get fresh water. Did he bring us out here to kill us in the wilderness? Where is he now? Moses, you rotten leader, you dog. Three days. Three days. Come on. I mean, how long could you have lived on all those amazing signs and wonders? Just goes to show you, signs and wonders don't necessarily build faith. They're signs that make you wonder. But you know what? I went to Disneyland, and I saw the sign, Disneyland. And I stopped. The car got the kids out. We did, ring around the rosy. We're at the Disney sign. Ooh, look at the Disney sign. Ooh, look at the Disney sign. Okay, kids, pack up the car. Back to London. You know what the sign points you to? Disneyland. The mouse. We're close to the stuff. We're close to what we came to experience. Signs tell you that he's here. Signs tell you the love of your soul's in the room. And they point to him. They all point to him. Amen. We need them. Because there's a world out there that needs some signs. There's some world out there that needs to say, God is here. Need more of those. People got healed today. You need to testify. Because it's a sign of the goodness of God. How are you? Are you good? All right. So we got these grumbling people, right? Thank God none of us are like that. Amen. All right. So let's go to the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 10. 
1 Corinthians 10. I don't have it all up on the screen. I got it here. Listen up, all right? Here's Paul talking to Corinthian church. Corinthian church, a bit of a difficult church, all right? But here's how he starts the letter to the Corinthian church. To the saints in Corinth. Now, if you read the rest of the book, you're going like, these guys weren't saints. They were messed up. But you know what? You're not saints through performance or behavior. You're saints through declaration of God. You're saints through relationship with the Father. And the one who makes you a saint makes you a saint, and you can't change that because it's his decree over you. But it's amazing that saints can really misbehave. And so he's talking about these saints, and he says in verse 1, he says, And don't you forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. This is the new covenant. This is Paul talking to new covenant believers. He says, don't forget. All of them were guided by the cloud. The cloud moved ahead of them, and they all walked through the sea on dry ground. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized into Moses, all the type of being born again, being identified with Christ, in Christ, being baptized and identified with Jesus, all types of what we experience today. All of them ate the same spiritual food. All of them drank the same spiritual drink. All of them experienced the revelation of the word. All of them experienced the revelation of the spirit of God. They were all drinking same spiritual stuff. For they drank from the spiritual rock that, listen to this, you ready? Underline this, the rock that traveled with them. Another passage is the rock that followed them in the wilderness. Imagine, okay, the cloud's moving, kids, pack up your toys, let's go. Mommy, that rock is following us. That, you know, where we got the drink together with the river flowing, it's coming after us. It's okay, it's the provision of God. Can you imagine a rock that is gushing out a massive river that would literally quench the thirst of millions of people and their cattle, livestock, and puppy dogs and kittens? That massive thing is following you around the wilderness. Pretty neat sign of wonder, don't you think? Well, you know what follows you around? That rock is Christ. And you know where that rock is? He's in you. And he said, if you drink of me, that rock, he said, out of your belly will flow rivers. So you know what? That rock that followed them around, you are that rock. Christ in you is the hope of glory. And as he is, so are you in this world. So that rock came in manifestation and miracles and, and glorious things were gusting forth from within Jesus. But now it's your turn. And everywhere you go, you are that rock in the wilderness, gushing rivers of the goodness of God. Please, there's a couple of happy people over there. Are you folks turn your hearing aids on over here. Okay, that's good. Wowzers. Did you see that, Brian? They're quiet over there. Hey, what do you think? Is that awesome or what? Where is it, Brian? It's in your belly right there. It's in your belly. My God. My God. All right, move along, Pastor. Come on, move along. All right, thank you, Jesus. So, so that rock followed them in the wilderness. So cool. Traveled with them. And look what it says. That rock was Christ. If the Bible interprets the Bible, you have a really good interpretation. So you say, what was that rock in the wilderness? Well, let me take you to the new covenant. The Bible interpreting the Bible says that rock was Christ. Well, I think the rock was, no, the rock was Christ. Well, how do you know that? Because the word interprets the word. That's the best interpretation of all. That's not even my opinion. That's the word telling you what's going on. So that rock was Christ. Can I get a hallelujah? All right. So they, 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 verse five. And yet God was not pleased with most of them. And their bodies ended up being scattered in the wilderness. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Most of them. I didn't say you. He loves you, he's pleased with you. Verse 6, these things happen as a warning to them. Oh, no, it says these things happen as a warning to us. 
so that we would not crave evil things as they did or worship idols as some of them did, as the scripture says. The people celebrated with feasting and drinking and indulging in pagan rivalry. And we must not engage in sexual immorality. Some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. Wow, may the Lord bless that. Verse 9, nor should we put Christ to the test as some of them did and died from snake bites. Remember, they put up that snake in the wilderness. And what did Jesus say in John? He said, you know that snake in the wilderness? That was me. And when the plague came, the way you got free of the plague was you didn't have to do some holy act or some righteous act or you didn't have to say, oh, behave, please behave. All you had to do was look. All you had to do was look, look and live. No, you got to repent 40 times. You got to feel really, really ugly about yourself. No, all you got to do, Jesus said, geez, right in the passage where there's John 3, 16, Jesus said, just like that snake, all you got to do is believe. All you got to do is look to me and you'll be saved. Just look and live. Jesus said, I was a snake in the wilderness. And it's the same thing in this covenant. I have come now, just look to me and live. Look and live, brother. Look and live. All right, so uh, snake bites, okay. And don't grumble. Say, don't grumble. Anybody been reading along here? If you've been reading along, how many have been like, these people got a bad attitude? I mean, I feel bad about Moses having to pastor these folks. Huh? I mean, I love Moses. I mean, God really got fed up with him. God was like, Moses, get over here. I'm going to restart everything with you. I'm just so annoyed. And Moses went, hey, big fella, listen. You brought us all out of Egypt. Everybody knows people in the nations are watching us travel, and we've told them that we are your people. It's not going to look really good if you brought us into the wilderness and snuffed us out. So you need to back off, big fella. And he went, you know what, Moses, you're right. It says he repented. It said he paid attention to Moses. A few days later, Moses going, you know what, that killed him thing? I think it's a good idea. <laughs> and God saying, Moses, chill. Don't be like that. So I reckon it's a good thing that Moses and God weren't having a bad day at the same time. You know? <laughs> so one of them was, you know, on, on with the plan. Fun reading the Bible. Isn't it fun reading the Bible? So you, you see all that. So he, they're testing God. Say grumble. grumble. Please don't grumble. You know, that was what Moses put up with all the time. People grumbling all the time. I mean, I, I think about Moses. What an amazing pastor. All the amazing, incredible things they did. And you know what? A lot of the bad things that happened to people was because they grumbled against their leader. Let me just repeat that again. You know, if, if you do sins against God's holiness, that's one thing. But if you look in the Bible at the people that really had a bad day, it's people who grumble against leaders. Let me just say that as a leader, because it's good to know. Don't give your pastor a bad day. The Bible actually talks about don't make it hard for him to serve you. And not that it's hard. I love serving this church. But grumbling sucks the life out of a movement. It sucks the life out of the purpose of God. It sucks the life out of things. So listen, don't grumble. Thank you. Amen. Thanksgiving is the anecdote for grumbling. Amen. These things happen to them as an example for us. They're written down as a warning to us who live in this age. If you think you're standing strong, be careful. Don't fall. You're not going to fall from being a saint, but you'll fall from the privileges. You know, and you'll, you won't be having them flowing in your life, not because God doesn't want to or he's withheld at all. He'll never withhold from you. But, you know, bad attitudes can quench things and block up the flow of God in your life. Amen. Then temptations. The temptations. Listen to this, verse 13. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. No, no, Pastor, you should have been with me this week. I don't think anybody in the world ever, ever, ever went through what I went through this week. I don't mean to offend you at all. Please, 
I really don't. And I don't mean to belittle whatever you may be going through at all. But nor does the Bible. Let me read this verse from the Amplified Bible. All right? There's no temptation. There's no trial regarding to being enticed to sin. No matter what comes your way or what leads or what is overtaking you or what is laid hold of you that is not common to man. It means it, it, it is shaped and it, it's things people go through. People have those kind of experiences. Of Job, remember we read Job. Job said, man is born for trouble as sure as sparks fly upward. Even Jesus said, in this life, you're going to go through stuff. But fear not, I've overcome the world. But here's, here's, the, here's the most important thing. Go through it. Go through it. Some people camp around, and that's what happened here, was they, a whole bunch of people stayed in the wilderness when it wasn't their destination. Your destination is the full manifestation of his promise. And yet there's a lot of people that came out, got baptized, got set free, you know, and then they stayed in the wilderness, and they died there. And there's a lot of believers that that's all the revelation they have is being born again, being baptized, and then we just hang around in this ugly place until God gets us out of here. That's all the gospel they got. And they never enter into the fullness of God. And see, these things that are written about them are written to warn us, don't camp in the wilderness, go through. Whatever you're going through, trust me, it's been done before. There's nothing you could ever go through that's not common to man. And again, I'm not belittling what you're going through. Please hear me. I'm not saying that your circumstance, just, you know, here's the message today. Get over it! That's not the message. It is, but it's not. (laughs) It's get through it with the help of Jesus. Because wherever you are, Jesus can visit you and he can bring you through. And his goal is to bring you through. Let me finish the verse for you, all right? Are you okay? All right. He said it's common to man. It's all common and it's adjusted and adapted and it belongs to the human experience such that man can bear. But God is faithful to his word. He is compassionate in nature and he can be trusted not to let you be tempted or tried or saved beyond your ability or strength to resist the power to endure. But with that trial and that difficulty temptation, he always, he always will provide for you a way out, a means of escape, a way to come to a good landing place that you may be capable, strong and powerful to bear up under that circumstance. So God, whatever you're going through, find God in it because God is there ready to download on you something powerful to get you through. So it's time to get through what it is you've been going through. Pastor, I'm going through something. Actually, you keep saying that. It's been about three years now. And um, I think it's time to get through that. I think it is. Okay, I've got several more notes. Not several, just four things I want to share with you. But being unthankful is the cornerstone. It's the launching point of every corrupting influence. I know that's very strong. I wrote that down. I said, wow, that's heavy duty right there. Being unthankful is the cornerstone, the launching point for every corrupting influence. I wrote that at a Thanksgiving sermon last year. And I looked at it and went, oh, my God, wow, that's pretty intense. Philippians 2.14, do all things without complaining and disputing. So I looked up all, and then I looked up things. And you know what it means? All things. It means everything you do in your life, don't do it. with. Okay. There is an anointing of sigh on our culture. How are you? How you doing? Now, I, I sigh like this. Oh, Jesus. And then Cheryl, she just sometimes she's going like, I believe you think you're praying. But actually, every time you say it, it annoys me. Because 
you're not doing it in faith. You're saying, oh, Jesus. And honestly, she did. She said just a few weeks ago, she says, I'm actually getting sick of hearing you do that. And I think he is too, because it's not, Jesus, you're faithful. It's, oh, God. Oh, Jesus. And I said, I just, I'm just expressing myself. She says, well, express it in a better way, because honestly, it's starting to annoy me. And I went, wow, I'm sighing. She said, you are. I go, I hate sighing. She said, you're sighing. I went, oh, no. How you doing? Hello, honey. How's work? What's for dinner? Don't ever say those words again. Okay, so... (laughs) Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Right? I mean... Thanks for inviting me over. And I brought a stinking pie with me, too. Probably stinks. It's not as good as you make, but I brought it. Just being hospitable. Don't do that. Be hospitable without grumbling. Well, we invited you over. I hope you enjoy yourself. I don't even know how you'd be hospitable and grumble. Isn't that weird? But anyways, it's a command in the Bible, so stop it. Okay, good. All right. So listen, the wilderness was a place for them to go through. It wasn't a destination. Sadly, they did not place their confidence in God, and a generation ended up dying in the wilderness. They didn't enter into the promise of God. All right, three things. Four things. You must embrace your position as a child of God. Four lessons. I hate that word test. It's just, I think they're lessons that God wants to prove things to you. He wants to prove you. But there's four lessons that allow you to complete the transition. If you're going through something today, I'm going to give you four lessons, because they were the miracles they saw, all this stuff they saw, and yet three days into the wilderness, give us a drink, will you? Yes, he will. Yes, he will. He'll always be faithful, no matter what you're going through, no matter all the miracles. Please remember the miracles, because if you did it, I love that we did that today. I've seen you do it before, and I know you'll do it again. And if you did it for Werner, you'll do it for me. Right, Werner? Amen, because he's no respecter of persons. He loves you. He's nuts about you. I believe I'm his favorite, but he told me the other day, you're all his favorite. But he still keeps me in the dark because he thinks it works for me, okay? So listen, four things, you ready? The cross changes everything. The cross changes everything, everything. Daily embrace the bread of life, daily drink the spirit of God. Victory can only be received, all right? So these are three chapters, 15, 16, and 17 of Exodus. We're going to go through it pretty quickly. Number one, the cross changes everything. In Exodus 15, 25, 26, they came to Mara. The place Mara means bitterness. So three days they traveled. They just got through the Red Sea and they got to Mara. Now their supplies are running out. Our, our sacks full of water, our, you know, our wineskins full of water. We're getting a little low on water. Wow, thank God there's a spring here. Whew, that's good because we were getting low. I mean, uh, it's time to feed the cattle and water the cattle. So it's so good that we finally showed up to this well. They get there and all of a sudden, they go, oh no, the water is sick. It's bitter. We can't drink it. Oh no. And then they go, Moses! It was so much better in Egypt. I love slavery better than this. I would rather be a slave than exist in this wilderness right now. Moses! See, people come in, they start serving God, and then they start getting miserable. Like, he got us through all of this. He brought us out. He did all of those miracles, but he can't give us water. He can part the Red Sea. He can, he can deliver us from Pharaoh. He can give us air conditioning and, and, and central heat all night long, but he can't give us water. Ah! No matter where you are, he can give you water in the midst of your situation. But here's what happened. Here's how they got water. Here's how you turn the bitter experience into a sweet experience. You ready? 
says he showed him a tree, and when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. He said, I will put none of the diseases upon you which brought the, of those who brought you out of Egypt, for I am the Lord who heals you. Listen, I'm not going to let you get infected. I'm not going to let you get diseased. I'm not going to let any of those things. Don't fear. Don't, don't worry about it. The water's bitter. You're not going to get killed. I'm going to cover you. I am the Lord who heals you. And you see, what did he do? He put a tree in the water. What does that represent? It represents the cross. And you got to realize that the cross is always before you. The cross of Christ is the finished work of the cross. Every single benefit comes to you from the cross. The cross changes everything. If you got a bitter situation, the cross changes that. You got sickness, the cross changes that. You got brokenness, the cross changes that. You got hopelessness, the cross changes everything. One more verse, boom, here it comes. Colossians 1, 19 and 24, please the Father that in him all fullness should dwell, and that by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him whether things in heaven or things on earth, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Everything in heaven, in earth, everything in the cosmos, everything has to yield and bow. The cross demands that every good benefit of Christ comes to you wherever you find yourself, no matter how dry it is. The cross changes everything. What are you shouting about, pastor? Shouting about the goodness of God and just for those two people that are sleeping on the back row. May the Lord bless them. Point number two, let's go. Daily embrace the bread of life. Here they are now again. You know, our supplies from Egypt are running out. We can't even bake a biscuit. It's all gone. And some people have a lot of flour, but there's maggots in it now. Oh, no. Again, he gave us water. He delivered us. He did all these wonderful things. But can he give us bread? See, sometimes you've seen God move in your life, but then you hit a wall with something. You're like, I think this one might be too tough. I think this one, oh, I think we've, we're really in for it now, Cheryl. Oh, my God. Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Stop it. What? The cross changes everything. Everything. Boom. Daily. Here they are. Oh, go back to that one. Sorry. For you've brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly. I mean, these guys were so miserable, weren't they? Hey, I'm so glad, Pastor, you guys, you're such nice people. Rarely do I get complaining phone calls and emails. Rarely. Zach gets them all now. That's true. <laughs> it's so good. I'm kind of going, I don't know why people said they send all this stuff to Zach. It's great. It's so good, though. Please keep doing it. Amen. So then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And God will never, God will never fail to satisfy his children. If you're not satisfied right now, you're not embracing the bread of heaven. Because God promises to satisfy you. Just like he satisfied them with that type and that image, he satisfied you with the bread of heaven. Here, go to the next verse, John chapter 6, 33, 35, all through that. For the bread of God, he says, Moses didn't give you bread. The Father gave you bread. It wasn't Moses did that. The Father did. For the bread of God is he, capital H-E, is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. If you're not satisfied right now, you are not choosing to drink deeply and to feed on Christ himself. Feed on your relationship with him. Feed on the word, which is a revelation of him. Feed on him. Feed on Jesus. Feed on the bread of life. Because he promises that you'll always go from satisfaction to satisfaction to satisfaction. <sighs> Jesus. I was telling him about my sighing, honey. I was telling him that you had to rebuke me for sighing. And so uh, you missed that part, but you can go buy the tape. Okay. I am the bread of life. Point number three. Number three. 
three, drink daily that spiritual cup again. I mean, why is it that you brought us up out of again? Why is it you brought us up out of Egypt to kill us? Us and your children, your livestock, we all thirst. I mean, these guys are grumbling all the time. Pastor, why are we doing that? I don't know. You know, I think, I think he's going to kill us. Do you want to kill us? Why is it you brought us up out of Egypt? Are you going to kill us? Our children, our lives, like we thirst. And then he said to Moses, he said, take the rock, strike the rock, and water shall come up. And what is the rock? It already heard in Scripture, interpreting Scripture, the rock is Christ. How many times has the rock struck? Once. Next time we had to speak to the rock, and Moses struck the rock. And Moses, the most amazing pastor ever. But you know what? Authority gets judged more severely than anybody else. All Moses did was he said, I'm used to striking rocks, I'll get results. He struck the rock instead of speaking to it. Moses did not get to go into the promised land because he didn't honor God. Right there. Are you kidding? I mean, I stood in your face when you wanted to kill them all. There wouldn't be anybody going to the promised land if I didn't get in your face and say, what are you doing, God? And you're not going to let me go in? I'm not letting you in. I said, speak to the rock. My son is not crucified again and again and again. He's only crucified once. Now you speak to the rock. You speak. You confess Christ. And that was a big mistake. But here he struck the rock. You know what? You can be a disobedient leader. You can strike the rock, and that's not what happens. But you know what happens? The people still get water. And you could be following a disobedient servant and still getting results. And because you're getting results, you determine, must be a man of God. There are a lot of people that aren't men of God doing stupid things. But God so desperately wants his children to get water, he'll still get results. That's why character and integrity and those kind of things are the most important things that you follow. Don't follow the game show. Follow the reality. Anyway, that was just a little side note for you. I love people that have great big ministries, but you know what? They protect their ministries with great big character and integrity. You can destroy with your character what took you years to build. Number three, give me another slide, John 7. That was Jesus. I mean, Jesus stood up in the middle of the feast. He said, come unto me and drink. And this was a feast of harvest. This was a feast where he said, the whole feast was a sign of the Spirit of God flowing. And Jesus couldn't take it anymore. And he interrupted the whole convention, ran from the back row, stood on a chair and said, it's me! And the ushers came and threw him out. But Jesus was saying, man, drink of me. Ever be filled, stimulated, saturated with the presence of God. When you're in a wilderness situation, drink deeply of the Spirit of God because he's there. Number four, victory can only be received. Victory can only be received. Here they are. Here's the next lesson. Next, they come up against their first enemies. The first fight was against Amalek. So his hands were held high in the sky. Here it is, all right? So he says, get ready go down there and fight Amalek, and I'll go up the mountain and hold my hands up. Now, no matter how hard they were fighting down here, their fighting had nothing to do with their victory. When Moses' hands started coming down, they started to lose the battle. They're like, oh, oh, oh. And then somebody goes, you know what? When his hands are up, we're winning. When his hands come down, we're losing. Somebody get up there and help him. So two guys went up and helped him. And you know, what he was trying to tell them was, going into your future, going into your destiny, you don't achieve victory, you receive it from me. You don't have to work to get the benefits of heaven. You don't have to jump through 35 hoops, do 25 Holy Ghost push-ups. You just have to believe that I and the whole finished work of the cross and all my promises are yes and amen. Victory is assured. I've already condemned you to victory day after day. I've already condemned you to this. You are more than a conqueror when you do your Holy Ghost push-ups. No, it says you're more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. 
You didn't put yourself there. You can't take yourself out. You're blessed. Victory is a byproduct of the fact that you're a child of God. Victory is a byproduct of sonship. It's not about your effort. It's about your identity. And when you don't know your identity, you'll not have victory because you're forfeiting the glorious things that could be yours. All right, and that's a big lesson, and that's what he wanted to learn. Amalek, what is Amalek? Amalek is a type of the flesh. Slide me some things here. Boom, boom, boom. Here we go. Amalek, first enemy. Amalek, Amalek was a type of the flesh. He says, with Amalek, you'll be at war with Amalek from every generation. Every generation. Are we in another generation right now? Guess what? Every generation is going to struggle with Amalek. What is Amalek? Amalek, every generation, Amalek's a type of the flesh. Where did Amalek came from? Esau. What was Esau? Esau was, I despise my sonship. I'm going to make my own way. That's what Esau did. When, when, and he said, I want a cup of soup. If you give me your heritage, give me, give me the firstborn rights. I'll give you some soup. I don't care about firstborn rights. I can get everything myself. That's what Esau does. Esau says, I will work and I will bring into manifestation. I'll do it myself. Watch me. But the blessing is on sonship. It's the blessing that causes victory in your life. It's not your effort or your manhood or whatever you think it is. It's the blessing of God that makes truly rich. And he adds no sorrow to it, neither will toiling increase it. You are blessed. And when you understand your sonship, you know whatever I'm going through, I can go through with my head high because God has condemned me to a life of victory, strength to strength. Is anybody hearing me? Anybody? So you see, sadly, though, they didn't destroy Amalek. They were told to destroy Amalek. Amalek's a descendant of Esau, but there was a guy named Haman years later. Haman was an Agagite. What's an Agagite? It's a descendant of Agag. Who was Agag? When Saul was told to go kill all the Amalekites, he didn't. Instead, he brought them back, and because he let Amalek exist, he lost his reign, and he lost his rule. He said, I've rejected you as king because you've allowed Amalek to exist. He said, I'm going to bring David. David's a man after my own heart. You will lose your identity and your sonship if you try to do it in your own strength. Don't do it in your own strength. It's him. He has to provide it all. Agag, Haman rose up, and that's in Esther. What happens? That spirit is alive. That spirit said, we want to kill every Jew. That's an Amalekite spirit. They want to take the promise. They want to take out the sons of God. And that's Amalek. And then who's the next one? Because they didn't kill Amalek, who showed up? Herod. Herod was a descendant of Esau, a descendant of Amalek, a descendant of Agag. And Herod, what did he try to do? When Jesus was born, he tried to kill every baby so that the purpose of God couldn't come into manifestation. It wars against the anointed spirit in every aspect of life. But it manifests in you and me, and I can do it myself. Or you try to add stuff to the cross. You try to add your own personal effort to something that's a gift of God. One more slide. One more slide. You can go to the next one. Go to the next one. Oh, stay there. Stay there. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. That's the word of God. Like that's, listen to that. No, despite all these things, despite whatever it is you're going through, all these things, whatever it is you're going through, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. You are more. You know when you're more than a conqueror? When you get the victory and you didn't have to fight. Come on, stand up with me. Are any children of God here today? I want you to be totally delivered from slavery and the mindset of slavery. I want you to be totally free. Please. You know what? The crazy thing is it's the most ugly thing. Like, like if you ever saw like a, a bald eagle in a chicken house, and here is this bald eagle who can soar, can go high, and he's like, bark, 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 bark. 
stuck in that little hen house. And sometimes that's what believers look like sometimes. It looks like they're buck, 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 buck. And they're looking and they're, there's something's drawing them. There's more for me. And yet they're stuck in a mindset that cripples them and hinders them and locks them down. You are a son of God. You are an eagle. You are someone who can fly. You are big in the spirit. Don't ever let it be diminished in you. Always remember these four things and these four blessings. God in the wilderness will always provide for you. The wilderness isn't your destination. The wilderness is a place you go through. And God blesses you and honors you. Amen? Amen. Now, we were going to sing a song, but we're going to just do this first. And they'll sing for altar. But listen, can you bow your heads, close your eyes? Listen, sonship's for every single one of you. You know, every single one of you were created to be children of God. Everyone. But you know, you do have to say, I'm in. You do have to identify, as they identified with Moses, you've got to identify with Jesus. And here's how you identify with Jesus. I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. I believe that he is the way to the Father. And you accept that, then your sins, which are forgiven, the manifestation of that forgiveness comes in your life. The freedom comes, the sonship comes, and the Spirit himself testifies to your spirit. You say, hello, child of God. If you've never done that, I want you to do it today. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to count to three. I'm going to go one, two, three. Nobody's looking around. It's just you. It's you and God tapping on your heart. But listen, at three, put your hand up and say, Pastor, pray for me. You ready? One, two, three. Way up high. Put it up really, really high so I can see it. Really high. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Put your hand up very high so we can see it. Thank you. All right. You can put your hands down. But I want you to pray. We're all going to pray. But you pray. Hear your own voice when you pray. We're going to pray with you. Ready? Lord Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. Holy Spirit, testify with my spirit. Say to me, you are a child of God. I receive forgiveness of sins. I receive forgiveness. I receive healing. I receive salvation. I receive union with my Father. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Good job. Well done. Can I get those who are ministering the altar to come? You know, if you need prayer for anything, if you've been in a wilderness, if you've been going through something, listen, the word's not trying to be rude to you, but the word is trying to say, no matter what trial or difficulty you're going through, it's been done before. And there's nothing new under the sun that God can't deliver you from, heal you from, set you free from. But you've got to put a demand on it. So these folks are at the altar, and these guys are ready to pray for you. They're ready to minister to you the grace and goodness of God. There'll be a few more than just these few. So if you, you know, don't say, oh, there's only a few. I'm not going to go today. You know what? Things get altered at the altar. Things shift and things move. But I want to pray for you right now. And then George is going to sing, you're no longer a slave to fear because you're a child of God. Don't ever let fear shape your life. You've been set free. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for blessing us. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for the many signs of your presence. Thank you for healing bodies, touching people's lives. Thank you for ministering to each of us graciously, your goodness. And Father, we just thank you for your presence. I thank you that I know, I know it. Those who know their God, they shall be strong and do exploits. I know you. I know who I am. I know what you've called me to do. I understand my identity. I understand my sonship. 
and I'm going to be big and bold. And I'm the rock in London. I'm the rock in the wilderness out here. I'm the place. I'm the dispenser of heavenly favor. Let me go with that revelation and bring freedom and liberty everywhere I go. So, Father, I bless this house. As a pastor, I bless this house in the name of Jesus. I pray for your great love, Father. And I pray that your wonderful grace, Lord Jesus. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would partner with us. Put us on like a garment. Demonstrate the kingdom in and through us. Here we go. We're going to the mission field right now to demonstrate your glory. In Jesus' precious name, amen.